Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. On this episode, we fire back up the guest mock draft series with picks four, five, and six. That is the New York Jets the New York Giants, and the Carolina Panthers. We've got three fantastic guests here with us today. Connor Hughes, Pat Leonard, and Jonathan Alexander picking for those three teams. We talk about what these teams need, what the season has been, head coach changes, GM changes, what they might be honing in on, not just with this first pick in the first round, but also some other picks throughout the rest of the draft as well. I am Trevor Sickable. With me, as always, is my co-host, Connor Rogers. Let's ring the bell. the opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. I'm Trevor Sigma. That is Connor Rogers here with another guest mock draft episode for you today. We have got the New York Jets at number four, the New York Giants at number five, and the Carolina Panthers at number six. But, you know, Connor and I got to get you caught up on everything that's happening around the NFL draft world before we get to those picks. Connor, how we doing, my friend? Good, man. It's, you know, it's the time of year, especially the owners meetings are going on, which is interesting during our guest mock draft series that you have pro days. uh, You got media availability from GMs and coaches. You're in and they're never going to give you too much, but you can start to really put puzzle pieces together. So this is a fun time of year. You know, you got everybody playing detective now, even all of the media, Trevor, from the local beat writers to the national media, they've fully crossed over into our world, which is the NFL draft. So right. th- there's a lot more noise, which can be a bad thing in a way. Uh, but you d- it's definitely a lot of fun having everybody involved on the guessing game. It also uh, hasn't made it easier on the scheduling front, getting these guys uh, <laughs> in on the show to make the mock draft. <laughs> guess no, mock it's draft been possible. insane, dude. But uh, no, we love it because it's great timing. Because like you said, like we're getting a lot of these guys, especially the Jets, the Giants picks, Carolina. Like this is perfect timing right now for the guests that we have and this series getting the freshest news. They're getting to talk to the head coaches. They're getting to talk to these general managers. And they're going to bring a lot of fantastic stuff to the table as we continue the series. But as I said before, before we get to the mock drafts and 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 the Jets and the, the Giants and the Panthers picks, I wanted to touch on something that we actually did not have a chance to talk about last week. Well, we kind of did. We recorded this before, but then Tyree Kill got traded, and we never actually got to get our thoughts out and talk to the good yeah, people. We about deleted it. it I wanted to. Right, this is a new one. I want to talk about Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett and their pro days and the reactions that we saw from all those guys and where we realistically are right now because man when we saw Malik Willis 
launch that bad boy in t-shirt and shorts, 65 yards down the field, putting the one finger up in the air for the touchdown like Brett Favre did, sprinting down all smiles. It made you think, you know what? If he goes number two overall, I'll be happy about it. <laughs> I'm and okay then, with it. And it's like in that moment, you get so captivated and you get so okay with it. And, you know, for as much as I'm joking there, it feels like NFL teams are really buying into this dude, potentially even going as high as number two overall. What do you think about the Malik Willis pro day performance and where you might see him going now? Well, the NFL would love it because as you and I sit here on this beautiful morning, uh, the Lions are doing hard knocks. So can you imagine if we had a number two overall pick at quarterback in camp at hard knocks with the veteran and Jared Goff, with all the energy that is Dan Campbell on a Lions franchise that everybody believes is going in the right direction. But man, when you look at this right now, it's just crazy because, you know, how do we get here, right? Like we went from Malik Willis being, you know, the high upside guy that might sneak into round one with all his traits. And that speaks to how good of a process that he's had, that he could be going in the top 10 of this draft. Now, well, like I've said on the mock draft before, I still don't think we're here yet. It, it feels like as early as he can go is the Panthers, but everybody knowing that means maybe somebody surprisingly trades up with the Texans at three, the Jets at four, the Giants at five. So it, it's pretty crazy. It's you know It goes to show you that people can always talk themselves into the upside of quarterbacks, and that's not an insult on Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis. That's just the fact that when these guys get in front of teams – they can sell themselves. I can be the leader of your franchise. I have all the tools. It just hasn't all come together in the college level yet right now, but it can at the next level of the NFL. So, I mean, man, it, it, it's the wild card of the draft, right? Because if Malik Willis goes at two, then you have to wonder the teams that assumed they would have their pick of a quarterback. You know, I look at it like this, Trevor. The more people you talk to, People are comfortable with Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett as round one quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Not everybody feels that way about Matt Corral. Not everybody feels that way about Desmond Ritter. Not everyone feels that way about Sam Howell. So if there's a team that went to the draft saying, we're getting our quarterback this year, and they are stunned by a quarterback going number two overall, then the panic sets in, and then the bidding wars come in, and then we could see people get aggressive for a way for a Pickett or Willis, whoever doesn't go first, in a way that we didn't see coming. Uh, so this is just a total stick of dynamite right in the top 15 of the NFL draft. Dude, it feels as though the hype for Willis is just so much higher than it is for a lot of these other guys in terms of Lerman. And, yeah. Right, and, and that kind of goes back to maybe the feeling of this entire draft class is that... Is he your top quarterback? Malik Willis? Yeah. I think he's right. going to go QB1. I had Kenny Pickett above it's him. It's so same. I just right. finished this, and it's crazy that we're sitting here almost in April, and I just finished this. That's how long I just I just keep going back and forth, and I'm just the reason Pickett's number one for me is because of the floor. I think Pickett comes in, and, and he, there's a floor there that I'm comfortable with, and Mal I love Malik, and he's rock solid QB too. He's just that home run hitter where he's you know the the batting average is really low, but mm -hmm. if you if you connect, it's a home run, and there's a lot of you know development there that needs to be done and I, I find it fascinating this is a great like litmus test in a sense of and i get it guys would rather swing for the allen mahomes burrow herbert because they know that can take them to an afc title game and beyond 
than taking floor. Um, but, you know, obviously you and I are more comfortable with Pickett. I just had to ask you that because it's it's ironically we talk so much about it and we never talk about how we individually feel. Yeah, right. No, I, I think that it's it's a foregone conclusion that Malik Lewis is going yes. to be the top quarterback selected in this draft. I, I didn't have him at that when I kind of finished my rankings. I had it Pickett, Willis, and Corral, and Corral and Willis are basically like right there. If you flip them, I I wouldn't hate it. But I'm the same as you. Yeah. So I mean, that's kind of where I am with the quarterbacks. But it's you know it's clear that they would much rather invest in Malik Willis, which kind of as I was saying goes into the feeling of this class overall because I was just having this conversation with somebody. You look at Tyler Linderbaum. Tyler Linderbaum is going to be a top 15 player for both of us, I think. Tyler, Tyler Linderbaum is, is one of the cleanest players in this entire draft. What you see is what you get, and you could have a Pro Bowl type of player here. Dude's going to go like back into the first round, maybe not even the first round. We yeah, didn't have Tyler even. Linderbaum going in our first round of our mock draft yesterday. Yep. How is this possible? And I think it's because we're doing these predictive mock drafts, right? It's not from our rankings, it's from what we're hearing. And it just seems like so many more teams, as they look at this draft class and they say, okay, it's not as talented as a, as a draft class as it has been in years past. So instead of playing it safe with some of the higher floor players, it, it seems like more NFL teams this year are taking that swing of the bat, that they're just going – we're going to hit for the fences. We're going to go for guys like Malik Willis, guys like Trayvon Walker, uh, guys like whoever it is that's, that's really going to pan out that I don't want to say are projects. Projects always come with such a negative connotation with them, but there's a lot of work before these guys really figure it out and become these full-time starters and, and solidified guys with where their draft status is right now. So it just feels that's the theme overall is that this year's draft class is going to be more about teams being aggressive and taking risk than playing it safe on prospects that might have a high floor. And I think that's just the way that I'm I'm reading the tea leaves in the NFL right now. And I think you're exactly right. I think guys believe they'll get fired by drafting high floor, low ceiling players over and over again. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily right, but it's a justified feeling of NFL front office members that they will pick all these guys that are, are good players, not great players, and they're going to fall behind because of it's a the NFL will never be, you know, the NBA, right? These super teams, these you got to have stars, and then you go so far. But we are seeing an aggressive NBA style of offseason that we have never seen before of the top teams just throwing haymakers at each other, especially in the AFC, because everybody is so everybody is so worried about, you know, how do I get past Patrick Mahomes? Mm-hmm. How do I get past Josh Allen? How do I get past Joe Burrow now? And that's not even factoring in year three is going to be a mammoth year for Justin Herbert, right? So now you have, look, look at the press conference the Browns just had this week. That's, they were willing to pull down their pants, show their entire ass to try to get past these teams in the AFC. That's where we are. And, you know, You're not wrong. The, You're not wrong. I, it was unbelievable to witness. And then you look at, obviously, uh, the Broncos on a totally different scale. I'm not grouping them with the Browns, but the Broncos traded a lot to get Russell Wilson because the Broncos have a really good roster. They've had a really good roster for a long time. But the Drew Locks of the world, the Teddy Bridgewaters of the world, they couldn't get over that hump. And they said, you know what? We're going to trade it all. We're going to get Russell Wilson. And now we we think we're in the Royal Rumble with the Bills, 
you know, the Chargers eventually, I keep saying that, but obviously the Bengals deserve their credit. The Chiefs are going to be there. The Ravens, I don't want to forget about the Ravens. They have an mm-hmm. MVP quarterback. Um, it, it's really, it's almost completely changed the mindset of a lot of valuators in the NFL right now. We are witnessing it with Malik Willis as a potential top six pick. So let's see if Malik Willis goes off the board here in this guest mock draft. We got three great guests for you. Connor Hughes picking for the New York Jets. We got Pat Leonard picking for the New York Giants. And then Jonathan Alexander picking for the uh, the Carolina Panthers. That's who it is. That's that's the team. I forgot the draft order now myself. Before we get to that, uh, we do have to get some housekeeping things out of the way. NFLSC, that's the promo code for you right now to get 25% off any PFF subscription over at pff.com, whether it's an edge, an elite, a college, or whatever it is. If you want to get that premium content, the draft guide, the fantasy football guide, all of the in-season betting tools, everything you could do so right now with a subscription and get 25% off and help this podcast out by using the promo code NFLSE+. I mentioned fantasy football. There's a new fantasy football game coming around called All 22. It's a game that hundreds of PFF employees have already been playing. I've been playing myself. I got to do the draft last year, and it was a lot of fun. Essentially, it's fantasy football meets a Madden fantasy draft. That's what it is. You are drafting not just offensive skill players, but full teams, offensive lines included, and you are scored based on their PFF-graded performance so you are trying to build the best roster not just the one that's going to have the best stats the best overall roster week in and week out going head to head against your buddies in a league join the wait list right now all dash 22.com with nothing more than your email if you join the wait list before the nfl draft you'll get a free promo code and the subscription to all 22 wait list users will even gain access to premium content like the inaugural draft guide in-season strategies uh, feature releases and so much more be sure to follow all 22 at all 22 underscore pff on twitter P- uh, all 22 it is premium fantasy football powered by pff all right let's get back to this guest mock draft series with number four and the New York Jets. All right, the Jets on the clock with the first of two top 10 picks in this year's NFL draft, picking at number four, and we are bringing on Connor Hughes from The Athletic, who has covered this team quietly for a long time now, Connor. You are uh, all of a sudden one of the veterans on the Jets beat. You have seen a lot in a short time, and it's a a nice year for you that there was no coaching change, no GM change, all things going forward. Uh, so how has everything been? Is this one of the more tame off seasons you've seen in a while? The ones that I can remember. Yeah, man, because there's, there's no quarterback controversy. There's no quarterback decision. There really hasn't been knock wood, any drama around the team. You know, the coach is coming back, you know, the GM's coming back. It's just been, I don't know. It, like it was actually funny. I was talking to, to one of the jets media relations staffers down here in the, uh, at the owner's meetings. And I said, man, I was like, this probably has to be the most relaxing thing because we're going into these conversations with Woody with Christopher, with Joe, and with Robert. And I'm like, I don't think there's any drama to pick on. There's none of it. So it's honestly, it's been pretty relaxing. And and I'll tell you what, if this is what it's like for the foreseeable future, sign me up uh, yesterday. Yeah, for sure. I think the one difference is the elephant in the room is this team has to start winning football games soon. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've seen uh, a lot of losing seasons recently. Yeah. It's It can't all be put at the blame of not just Joe Douglas, but of course, Robert, Robert Sala, who's only been here for a year. So this is a team that spent a decent amount of money in free agency. We've seen them try and come up short on some big trades. Uh, Internally, is there a feeling of, all right, we've had enough of the four-win seasons. We're finding ourselves in the top 10 of this draft over and over again. With all the trades we've done, we've built ourselves up for this was the offseason of all the ammo. Is there any kind of different level of urgency with this organization to start winning? I I think – 
there is with Joe Douglas. And, mm-hmm. and I think the reason why you can see it with Joe Douglas is you can see some of the moves that he's tried to make. Now, he hasn't been able to get the Tyree kill. He wasn't able to get the Calvin Ridley. He hasn't been able to get the Amari Cooper and wasn't able to go out there and get Daniel Hunter. And obviously Chandler Jones chose to go over there and sign with the Raiders. But you can see that he's now suddenly starting to take some swings and, and uh, at some pitches that maybe he wouldn't have necessarily touched his first couple of years as a general manager. And there's a reason for that, man. Woody Johnson's back. You know, this is no yeah. longer Christopher Johnson's show. Christopher's still very involved, but Woody Johnson is the number one guy in, in, in command. And you've followed this team forever. I've covered him for a decent amount of time. When Woody's around, things are a little bit different with this team. Yeah. There is a lot less patience with Woody. He likes the shiny toys. He likes the splashes. He likes the news. It's why he went out there and traded for Brett Favre. It's why he went yeah. out there and he brought back Darrell Rebus when a lot of people maybe shouldn't have. It's why he went out there and he got Tim Tebow. I mean, this is a guy who likes to make the big splash on the deep end of the pool. And to have Joe Douglas be the general manager who is so not that, it's been interesting to see how they work. But I think what you're seeing is is a, is a, an owner now who's back in the fold that is not going to be okay with his losses piling up. He's not going to be okay with another four or a five or a six-win team. He wants the playoffs. He wants contention. He wants seats in those stands. And until he gets it, I think you're going to see the temperature underneath Joe Douglas's seat get a little bit warmer and a little bit warmer and a little bit warmer. And, and the one thing that I will say, though, man, is, is you talk about the guys and, and look, we talked to Woody today, and, and he stressed over oh, how aggressive the offseason was, aggressive the offseason was. You're right. The Jets did sign a lot of players, but the players that they signed, I don't necessarily know if they moved the needle a lot in terms of win-loss. You know, DJ Reed, he's definitely better than what they had, but he's not a shutdown, lockdown corner. You know, Whitehead, not really a, a game-changing player, better than what they had, not game-changing. With the exception of Tomlinson, all the other players, I'd say, are good. No one's really great. If the Jets want to get themselves in contention and get themselves to really chase in a playoff berth, they need good or they don't need good players. They need great players. And obviously without finding them in free agency, Joe now has to find them in the draft. Yeah. I think you summed up free agency. Perfect. It felt like a nice steady plugging holes with, we got serviceable in areas that we were maybe bad or abysmal at mm-hmm. times, but like you said, they just have not landed that star yet. So yeah. coming off that note of free agency, they did pay DJ Reed as their number one corner. They mm-hmm. have made moves that have, you know, given them some flexibility for the draft. You look at, a move like DJ Reed in the sense of, okay, maybe we don't need to take a sauce Gardner with the top 10 pick. Do you look at missing on Chandler Jones as we have to get a pass rusher early? Do you think there is a trickle effect of what worked in free agency and what didn't now to the NFL draft? Yeah, look, I mean, the one thing that's, that's kind of funny about Joe Douglas, and I always chuckle sometimes when when I see like reports kind of surface out there, like, oh, Joe loves this guy, Joe loves that guy, Joe wants this guy. Joe doesn't talk to anyone. Like, that's, mm. that's his thing, man. He is as tight-lipped as they come. So if you want to get a look into his brain and, and look into what he wants to do, you have to follow his actions. And I think you yep. can learn a lot about the Jets' plans going into the draft with the pursuit of Ridley Cooper and Tyree Kill and the pursuit of Chandler Jones. The fact that the Jets were willing to go out there and give $16, $17 million a year to Chandler Jones. The fact they were willing to trade for Tyree Kill and then make him the richest receiver in NFL history. It shows how much this team wants a number one receiver and how much this team wants a pass rusher. And when you go into the draft, they still don't have those two holes filled. So in my opinion, I think that's where you can see this team going. I think that's where this team is going to want to go. And and specifically with Reed, man, I think you and I talked about this. Robert Sala's defense doesn't need a lockdown corner. No. Like, like that's not that's not the way that it worked in San Francisco. I know they went out there and they got Richard Sherman, but the Richard Sherman that they had in San Francisco 
was not the Richard Sherman who was the all pro player in Seattle. He was a good player and he was a veteran player. And that's what the, this, the 49ers wanted, but he wasn't this elite level unstoppable force like he was with Seattle. So what Salah believes is that his defense, his defense can work. His defense can be effective at times. His defense can be dominant with two solid corners on the outside, rangy safeties back deep, and then just stud after stud after stud on the defensive line. And he's got a couple pretty good players up front there and Quinn and Williams and John Franklin Myers and like Bryce Huffalot, and you're hoping Carl Lawson comes back healthy. But there needs to be more in the chamber. They need more ammo. They need more firepower up front. And I think you're going to see them attack that quite a bit in the draft. All right, we'll get that to that in a little bit. Looking at the offense, obviously we've seen Jacksonville, uh, the Jets. We've seen teams that with these young quarterbacks that are not coming off good rookie seasons. Yeah allocate a lot of money to the offense. The Jets signed two starting tight ends and they're going to play them both. They signed Lakin Tomlinson to big time guard money. Like you said, they've tried, but they failed at getting that number one wide receiver. How close do you think they think they are to having it right to evaluate Zach Wilson where, okay, we, you know, you brought back Braxton Barris as well, but he's a number four and you've talked about this yeah. a lot. How do they think they are close enough where they go? Okay. With this offense, we're going to learn if he's the guy or we're just not there yet. This is Sam Darnold all over again. Uh, and, and that obviously ended the way we kind of expected. But do they think they're close enough that it's fair to evaluate him? Yeah, they're close enough. I mean, I, I think they believe they're a piece away on offense. And and that's why okay. you saw them so aggressively pursue Tyree Kill. I mean, and, and a lot of people were saying, oh, why? Why make him that? Why give up that? Why were they considering doing this? Or why would they why would they go after him? You know, or, or the, is Tyree Kill really going to make that big of a difference for the Jets? You know, and, and the answer to that is yes. I mean, when they look at this offense, if they're able to add a number one receiver, like a true number one X receiver, one of those guys that's going to go out there and just put up 12, 1300, 1400 yards a year, you know, in his sleep, just be one of those dominant top 10 players at the position. They believe if they add that player to this offense, it has wholesale impact across the entire board. Obviously, it's going to make Zach Wilson better, right? I mean, that, that's just an obvious statement. But think about what it's going to do for Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, because if you had that number one out there who's demanding the double coverage, Suddenly you can't double more. Suddenly you can't double Corey Davis. And those two guys who are very good in their own right are seeing single coverage all day, right? The offensive line, it's going to make the offensive line better because the odds of a true number one receiver, Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, one of those three guys not getting open within three seconds, it's probably pretty slim, especially considering the fact that they're going to be, again, two of those three are going to be seeing single coverage. Makes Michael Carter's life easier because obviously if you've got those three wide receivers, you're not going to stack the box. So they do genuinely believe that adding that number one receiver would change the landscape of the offense, open up the offense, and really take this entire scheme to another level because of the impact it would have on just about everyone, especially Zach Wilson under center, because you really it, – would, this would be completely different from the Sam Darnold situation. This would be Joe Douglas finally surrounding his quarterback with quote-unquote protection and playmakers. That's what this would be if they're able to get that number one receiver. And fortunately, you see these number one receivers going hot and heavy, and you kind of wonder who's the next one and where they're going to find it especially in a draft that doesn't necessarily have Chase or someone like that in it. That's exactly where I wanted to take this. We know that there's no definitive signs that A.J. Brown or D DK yeah. Metcalf, those are more generated, I think, fan hopes and rumors. Yeah, and I, I, the, yes. the Brown one I don't get. Like that, I, Somebody came up to me and I was like, I don't, I, I just, I, again, I haven't sourced this. I haven't talked to anyone yeah. about it. Like we'll probably actually be out there tonight to do some of that. But it's like, I, I just don't. I don't know why the Titans would get rid of him. Like, that's the one I, I don't get. Like, I don't get it. Like, it, it makes no sense to me. But, yeah, go on. Sorry. Well, they didn't pay Corey Davis, so you'd assume they're allocating money to yeah. keep A.J. Brown there. And I know the Julio yeah. move didn't work out, but now you have Robert Woods' money. But let's just put that aside and say yeah. that 
not AJ Brown specifically, but a player like him, like DK Metcalf. I, I won't consider Debo Samuel, but one of the we have we're less than five weeks away from the draft. One of those guys or a guy like that, they the team knows, hey, we're not going to meet his number. He's been in the league for three or more years. It's due. He's due for an extension. He won't play for us if he gets that extension. Is Joe Douglas on watch at this point where he's going? Okay, if a number one becomes available, like we saw with Tyree Kill, I have the ammo that I don't even have to give up a first round pick, but I have the cash ammo, which is a giant domino, and the assets in the top fifty to get this done, and we want to get this done. Yeah, yes, yeah, that that's okay. is that yeah, absolutely. I mean that that is a hundred percent. I mean Joe kind of hinted at it when we talked to him at the at the end of the season when we, we did that end of year press conference. He hinted at it then because he said, you know, with our assets with our money, with our cap space, with our draft picks, we have the means to be involved in whatever player acquisition route we want to be involved in, you know? And, and when we talked to Woody Johnson at the owners meetings just now, he pretty much reiterated the same thing in his own Woody Johnson way where he said, you know, yeah, we didn't get Tyree kill, but I fully expect us to be involved in whatever player comes up. So if one of these guys is made available, if Brown is made available, if Metcalf is available, Metcalf, is available, the Jets will absolutely 110% go after and pursue and get that player to be the game changer. And the one thing that we've also seen change a little bit this offseason, and I think we've seen it very much so with this Tyree Kill edition, or the Tyree Kill pursuit, I should say, is that the Jets are also turning their attention a little bit off of the choir boy acquisition, like there's been in years past where there's been the, no, 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 we want the sparkling clean record off the field, we want the good players in the locker room, I think they realize that, yeah, you need a foundation of that. You need foundation of those guys, but you also need some dudes who can play ball. And and when they went after Tyree Kill, it showed you they want players who can play football. DK Metcalf, another guy who's thrown some uh, never like Tyree Kill off field stuff. But you mm-hmm. can see like some Odell Beckham like persona on he the sideline. With- a lot. Correct. Exactly. Yes. Yes, Everybody correct. knows it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So I think you can see some of that. And when you do see some of that, is it going to deter the Jets away? Two, three years ago, I would have said yes. I don't know if they would have necessarily gone and pursued that for their young quarterback. Right now, I think they are hell-bent in adding talent and hell-bent in getting playmakers and hell-bent in getting those players with, as Robert Sala calls it, superpowers to try to start flipping some of these games around. All right, uh, before we get to the fourth overall selection, the last thing I had on the offense was Makai Becton, right? Last year, they were in a unique situation that they were able to get Morgan Moses for pennies on the dollar in June when nobody had any free agent Mm -hmm. money. They went to the year with three starting caliber tackles and thank God they did because Makai Becton gets rolled up on week one. He's out for the year. Um, I, fo- I follow you religiously, especially during training yeah. camp. And if you follow Connor, you knew that Carl Lawson was yeah. whooping ass. I mean, he was beating yeah. Becton left and right where it was okay. Are Moses and Fant going to play. Is Becton going to play all of that aside? There's no Morgan Moses this year. It's George mm-hmm. Fant. It's Makai Becton. They are going into a draft that is gifted at tackle. Besides the big three in the first round, uh, there's a lot of other tackles in this draft mm-hmm. that can go early. <sighs> Internally, is there a, we are one more Becton injury away from Connor McDermott protecting Zach Wilson, yeah. and we saw a big enough sample size that last year where we need insurance, or are they in the mold of, he's going to be healthy. Joe Douglas, not Robert Sala, Joe Douglas drafted him in the top 15, this is our guy or is it somewhere in the middle right now? I think it's, they are going into this one and they've let Makai know this, that they, they're they going into this one very much letting him know that it's you're, you're the, the scholarship's over basically mm-hmm. that there is no more handing him the position. This is no more. You're guaranteed a starting job. This is Robert Sala saying, look, I'm not the one who drafted you. This is my roster. I'm the one who's in charge of who starts. 
you got to earn the starting job because we've got a guy in George Fan who can be our left tackle and has shown he's, he can be our left tackle. If you're not worthy of being the left tackle, we'll shift you over to the right side. If you're not good on the right side, we'll turn to somebody else. Now, you mentioned Connor McDermott. I would be very, very surprised if he was the only offensive tackle behind these two guys. Okay. I genuinely do, excluding Chuma, too. Like, obviously, Chuma's not. I, I think they have Chuma listed as a guard now or something along those lines. But He's just there. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's there. He's, he's a body. Like, that's, that's the fact he's still there is actually pretty surprising. But I think that you will see the Jets. I don't know if it's going to be at four unless Icky gets down there. If, if, if he's there, then I think suddenly you're going to have to have a conversation because mm. that guy's a stud. But I think that they are very much in the world of there's – I'm under the belief that they're going to draft an offensive tackle at some point within the first three rounds, potentially okay. within the first two. Like, like I genuinely believe that's going to happen. I don't know if one – I don't know if four and ten is where it's going to be, again, unless Icky's there. But I think you could see one in the second round. And the reasoning for it is not just – to put the pressure on Mekhi Becton, not just to heat things up with Mekhi Becton, but because of the fact that you need to look down the road as well. You know, George Fant's in the last year of his contract. He's probably not going to be coming back to this team at 33, 34 years old where they're going to extend him deep into his 30s. So you're going to need another tackle in here anyway. So why not get your guy now? You know you have George Fant's replacement for next year, but you also now know you have somebody who if something happens to Mekhi where he gets hurt or something happens with Mekhi where he's just, he doesn't take the step that the Jets are, asking him to take or he doesn't show up in shape or, or basically the Mekhi Beckton they had year one and two is back in year three. You now have the guy that can step in and play in place of him because like you said, I mean, going, going with McDermott in any capacity as a starting role. I mean, that's going to, that's going to, they could have gotten Tyreek Hill, DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. It wouldn't matter if you got McDermott starting one of those tackle spots. Yeah. That would create a Bengal situation at best. All right. Yeah. So you are on the clock at number four, Jacksonville took Aiden Hutchinson. No surprise. Uh, the Lions took Trayvon Walker and the Texans took Kyle Hamilton, mm-hmm. leaving an interesting situation that you already touched on where Aquanu is there, Neil is there, Thibodeau's there, Jermaine Johnson is there, Sauce Gardner is there. I know at the top of this, you said they know they need a front four player yeah. so, so badly. Where are you going here with the Jets with the yeah. number four overall pick? Yeah, you know, it's funny. When we talked to Salah here at the owners meeting, I asked him this. I said, I was like, you know, you're there is a very real possibility that you're going to be on the clock at number four. And there is going to be a very, very good offensive lineman there. And there is going to be a very, very good pass rusher there. And we know from talking to Joe Douglas over the last three years, that guy could have a offensive line of all pros and he would still be trying to tinker with it and improve it. Obviously, we know going back to San Francisco's run on pass rushers when Robert Sala was there, they're going to draft a a pass rusher every single year and just keep adding him in there, keep adding him in there and then trade for him too because they went out there and they traded for Ford. So You've got now a war room where you have one guy that says, God damn it, give me all the pass rushes. And the one says, God damn it, give me all the offensive linemen. Who's going to win? And solid joke is going to be a bare knuckle fist fight in the war room. And whoever wins is the one who drafts it. But in this situation, look, I mean, we've seen the run on quarterbacks that have either stayed in the AFC or gone to the AFC. Watson, obviously now with, with the uh, Cleveland Browns, Russell Wilson's with Denver. The best way to neutralize an all-pro quarterback is you knock him on his butt. I mean, that's really it. It's it's how the Giants were able to win two Super Bowls over Tom Brady. It's how the Eagles were able to take down Tom Brady. I mean, if you want one of the best – if you want to neutralize a pass rusher, the best way to do it is you knock him on the butt and you, or quarterback, and you do that obviously by going out there and getting a pass rusher. So for me, I really don't see how the Jets pass on Kayvon Thibodeau. I really don't. I think that's going to be the selection at number four. I know people have some of those like concerns and there's those works. Oh, is he that interested? What's his off-field interest like? From my understanding, the kid just likes branding. Like he's into yeah. his brand. He's the, and that's that's not unnormal. That that's the 2022 athlete. Everyone's into that stuff. He likes his social media. He likes his brand. And he's going to flourish in New York. So I don't think the Jets are worried about that. I'm not worried about that. And considering the talent and the skill level that that kid has, 
You put him next to Carl Lawson next to Quinn or across from Carl Lawson with Quinn and Williams next to him. And you've got the makings of a line that has the potential to be really, really good. I like it. I'm with you. I think it's going to be too tempting for Robert Sala to pass mm-hmm. on getting a gifted pass rusher. Uh, Thibodeau, there's been a lot of buzz around him. I think it's been overblown. I don't think he makes it out of the top five of this draft. So it makes a lot of sense. Connor Hughes from The Athletic. You could follow him at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Amazing stuff, dude. Always a blast to talk to you. Uh, and thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. All right, the Giants picking twice in the top 10, but right now we'll stick with number five overall. And we are very excited to have on NFL columnist and Giants beat reporter from the New York Daily News, Pat Leonard. Pat, it has been an insane offseason for the New York Giants. New GM, new coaching staff. How's everything going right now? How are the vibes around the New York Giants in a a new era for Big Blue? Yeah, Connor, you're right. A ton of turnover, uh, something new every day, a firing, a hiring, a player signing, a lot of one-year deals, a lot of veteran salary benefits for a team with no cap space, even though they have two picks in the top seven, go figure that. That's a story in and of itself. But obviously the optimistic part of it is that Joe Shane has nine draft picks, two in that in those top seven, and they're trying to build this for the future, and they know there's going to be some pain here but they do feel like they're going to get some good players in this draft and start building better for the future. Pat, it, it seemed like when they were going through a lot of their changes uh, with head coach and with, with GM, it was like, okay, yeah, you know, Joe judge is safe and now he's not safe. Now he's gone. And they're figuring, so it, it are, were the giants really like one foot in one foot out with Joe judge? Was it that close? Because Right now, it seems like with Dable and Shane, it's the perfect situation for them right now. I mean, with a GM and a head coach that know each other so well, it just seems like such a great, uh, such a great pairing that they have. And they almost didn't have it because I felt like they kept Joe Judge around. So how close were they to actually keeping Joe Judge and this current group that's now the decision makers not even being there? That's a good question, Trevor. They were very close to keeping Joe Judge. John Mara didn't want to fire him. Steve Tisch ultimately tipped the scale and said, let's blow this whole thing up because two years prior, they didn't blow it all up. Steve wanted to blow it up and fire Gettleman and Shermer and they compromised and they fired Shermer, the head coach, but kept Dave Gettleman as GM. You know, I would argue that Joe Judge was behind the eight ball from the beginning in being paired with Gettleman and not having a fresh start like you're just alluding to now. It feels like such a better situation when you're bringing people in who seem to have alignment, who see the game the same way where the GM knows what kind of players he has to get for a coach who also can help your quarterback and offense. It just makes so much sense when you say it. And so the Giants were just so behind in their thinking there. But they, John Mara and the Giants knew that they had told Joe Judge they were going to give him a long runway to rebuild this. And so the element of firing him two years in when he felt like he was getting a minimum three years, that was something that caught Judge off guard, caught the coaching staff off guard. You see Pat Graham kind of, even though the Giants thought he would stay, leave because he didn't want to be a part of this anymore. He goes to the Raiders instead with Josh McDaniels. So a lot of fallout there. But ultimately, Tish tips the scales. They had been doing homework on Shane for a while. An interesting part of it, too, Judge was actually on the verge of level as his offensive coordinator if he stayed a third year because Dable was going to leave Buffalo no matter what. And so he was on the outs there in Buffalo and McDermott. The, the time stand for, well, this really could have started looking good in year three with Dable running the show, working with Daniel Jones. But from an organizational standpoint, you did need a new face at the top, a new general manager. And so once that decision was ultimately made and they gave Joe Shane all this power and they decided that's the direction they wanted to go in, 
they had to press reset on the whole thing. So with that being said, Pat, now you have, and this is a classic case, you have a, a new staff that's really promising, a new front office that seems very promising, but you have so many premium assets from the previous regime that, to be fair, ownership has stood by. They've vouched for Daniel Jones. They said they haven't done right by him. They said the same about Saquon Barkley. Do you believe this regime is going to try to get it right for Daniel Jones, or is this one of those things where it's, you're going to have to show a lot this year for us to keep building around you, or at some point we're going to look to get our own quarterback in here with a premium pick. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that they are scouting all of the top quarterbacks. They're not, they haven't been on the Malik Willis's and Kenny Pickett so strongly that it makes you think like they're definitely going to draft yeah. them. And I don't think they're ultimately going in that direction. But what I like about Joe Shane and what he's bringing to the Giants is this idea of, okay, we know you believe in this quarterback, John Mara and Steve Tisch. That doesn't mean we're, we're going to not scout the QBs because if we see Malik Willis is the real deal, we're not going to let that opportunity pass. You know, even though a lot of people say, well, they have done this. Like, the love to tell people the scenes that they love Justin Herbert. It's just, oh, well, we all love Jones. And my knew the guy was going to be a star at the biggest position in the sport. I don't care if you took the guy the last year. You take him anyway. You have to solve the quarterback position. If it solves it for 15 years, you do it. So I like the open-mindedness that Shane is bringing to the process. Organization. That said, all the GMs that were interviewed for this job also what the Giants wanted to hear, which was that they still wanted to run it back one with Jones. Cap's uh, standpoint, though, like it makes sense, right? Still on a rookie deal. And as you said, draft assets you can reset for the future. Doesn't work out. Yeah, no, I mean, you 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 go back to the Arizona Cardinals and for as much as the Arizona Cardinals really have had their draft misses going and making sure they get Kyler Murray the year after they got Josh Rosen, I think that people look at that and went, okay, well, that was actually the right move. So I know a lot of other GMs look at that as well. What are some outside of quarterbacks, Pat? What are maybe some hints of philosophy or maybe just hints in certain players or positions that you have heard from Shane, from Dable about what they might be targeting either at five at seven, or even at the top of the second round, what are some maybe characteristics or position groups you really think they're going to hone in on from what you've heard? Well, in the draft, I think offensive tackle edge rusher and corner are the positions you have to look at. The one element, Trevor, from a team-building standpoint that stood, stood out to me so far, even though they haven't made any major signings other than Tyrod Taylor as a backup, is speed. Like, they've added, you know, Matt Breda as a backup running back. They cut Devontae Booker, who was actually doing pretty well as a three-down back and a backup, but they want Breda, who adds that speed outside the edge element. Richie James Jr., a guy who they feel like can add a speed element and a vertical thread on the, in the kick return maybe as a, as a spot receiver in the offense. But they are clearly trying to get faster as a team. That said, the positions they're targeting and seem to be targeting at the top of the draft are less that skill position on offense and more kind of these premium positions that you just need to lock down, right? They don't know if they have the quarterback. They believe they do. But if they're going to find out one way or another, they need to protect him. So offensive tackle, even though they have Andrew Thomas on the left, they have a gaping hole on the right side that they have to fill and they will fill. And then they've been really in on corner. And with James Bradbury expected to be traded soon, they already have a need with him on the team. So if they trade him, you know, they have an extra need at the corner position. And I'll be totally honest with you, Trevor and Connor, I don't know how to rank these edge rushers, like as far as when their picks come up, who's going to be there. 
um, who they like, who they don't like. That is the one position I would tell you I am. And I think a lot of people are still working out in their minds. How much are they going to invest? How high? Because Wink Martindale, as you know, produced a lot of pressure on quarterbacks and then Ravens hit a lot on like ed- middle round edge rushers. Right. So are they going to invest big time first round and second round in that position? Or are they going to work the middle rounds? And the final thing I would just add quickly is they have been looking at receivers. I'm not saying they're going to draft one in the first or second, but they definitely have been looking at that position. If Darius Slayton doesn't stick, yes, you have Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay, but there's, and they have Sterling Shepard back on a pay cut, but there's always room to add speed and playmaking to that position room if you're the Giants as well. I'm glad you brought up Wink Martindale because that is obviously a hire that's met with a lot of warranted praise. It's a big hire. It's a bold hire. It's a total. When you hire Wink, you know what you're getting in that system. You said it. You're bringing pressure. You're asking a lot of your cornerbacks on the outside uh, to hold up in man coverage. There's just no doubt about that. And when you look at the construction of the Giants roster, especially without Bradbury, that becomes a very hard system to run. So, how much influence do you think they will get? If they went out and made the bold hire of getting a guy like Wink. How much influence do you think he has early on in this draft? Not even just the two top 10 picks, but an early second round pick as well. Yeah, no, I think, I think they are, they have to, as you're just pointing out, they have to have an outside corner that they find early in this draft who Wink trusts to put press man on the outside and go to work and send some numbers to the quarterback and generate that pressure. Uh, from my vantage point, from what I can see, he has a ton of input into the type of player that they need for his defense. And so, you know, as one person was telling me, like he's a back to front coordinator in the yep. sense that, and you guys know too, all that you look at those numbers of the Ravens defense is his four years. Those first three years lights out last year when it didn't go as well, what happened? He had a ton of injuries to his secondary and you know you're playing some either younger inexperienced or guys kind of above their level if a number two is moving into a number one slot whatever and so he's coming off a season where he loses his job and it goes wrong in baltimore purely because the secondary didn't hold up and wasn't up to snuff and so that's the input he is providing into how this defense can stay relevant and actually get better especially when like listen i'm not saying logan ryan's the best player in the world or anything but he was giving the Giants some good leadership and some good ball for what you were expecting him to do. Bradbury last year, a lot of people don't know, was playing through a lot of injuries. So his 2020 self was closer to who he is than his 2021 self. So they're getting rid of their two good players. So Wink is stumping for playmakers at those positions. And Joe Shane, one thing I can tell you that I know about him, I'm still getting to know him. He is smart and he knows what he's watching when he watches tape. I can already tell that. And so when he's watching corners at the top of this draft and Wink's telling him what they need. There's no doubt in my mind that they're targeting that position. All right. Well, let's put you on the clock, whether it's a defense player or an offensive player, let's put you on the clock here at number five overall for the New York giants in this guest mock draft. We've got Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Kyle Hamilton, and Kayvon Thibodeau all off the board. So you got all the offensive linemen left and you got some edge rushers. Of course, corner hasn't been touched as well. So Pat, for number five overall, who would you be taking for the Giants if the board fell like this? So, okay, I'm going to preface this with I'm always I'm constantly expecting right now Evan Neal and Ikimakwanu to be off the board. If they are on the board like this, it throws it into a little bit of chaos. 
because I view this as a decision between most likely the way I see it falling, Charles Cross, the offensive tackle for Mississippi State, and Ahmad Sauce Gardner, the corner from Cincinnati. Obviously, the Giants have two picks up here. I'm going to – my answer for you right now is Charles Cross. I know the Giants love him. I know they think he can play on the right side. That is also, like I'm prefacing it with, obviously, Aquan is a guy, he looks like even if he doesn't end up starting a tackle his whole career, he seems like a safe pick to start on your offensive line for years and years, whether it's at guard, at tackle. So it could easily be him or Evan Neal if he unexpectedly falls. But as far as who I think is most likely to be there and who I know for a fact the Giants have been very high on for a while now, I'm going to go with Charles Cross, the tackle for Mississippi State, athletic. And really, if they mean what they say about protecting Daniel Jones, giving him every chance to succeed. And I'll tell you what, like John, John Mara said this week, he said, he said, uh, like our offensive line is going to be better, God willing. And he's rolling his eyes. You know, Dable said to us at the Combine, hey, uh, any members of the media want to try out for offensive line? Like, <laughs> you know, Joe Shane made a crack about, well, we only have five damn healthy linemen on the whole roster. Like, they can't stop talking about yeah. it. So, if it's not an offensive lineman, it's sauce. But um, Charles Cross would be my final answer at this moment. Which is not that crazy. You know, I think no. that people are going to look at it and say, you know, oh, Evan Neal and Iki Aquanu are on the board. But there are plenty of people who have Charles Cross's offensive tackle one. It's just not mocked this commonly. So I think this is, I love that Pat's doing this. He's given us a peer behind the curtain for the Giants. What do you think about this one? I mean, it's it's awesome. Number one, it's because nobody is factoring in uh, the fact that Cross is in, I call it the big three, right? When you look at Neil, it when is you the look at Aquan, yes. it's amazing how Cross isn't lumped into that group as much as he should be. I think he's the best pass protector of the three as a pure tackle. He's obviously a good athlete. He's got really, really long arms. He's not coming from a Mike Leach system necessarily. He wasn't a Mike Leach recruit where he's recruited for that system. He's a NFL level kind of build. So, Pat, before we sign off, I'll ask you one question If that, that me and Trevor struggle with every time we do these mock drafts. If they take a – it could be Cross, Neal, or Aquanu. Is Andrew Thomas more likely to stay where he started to find some success or do you think they're going to balance this out, maybe move him to the right side? Is there any inkling of how they want to plan to use this offensive line and Thomas's long-term future with a rookie coming aboard? I've seen no indication and received no indication that they intend to move Andrew. Makes sense. I think and I, the, everything I know and have heard and been told is they think they're leaving him there, they trust him there, and that this second surgery he had, like let's see if this pans out or not, but basically, he had a surgery on his left ankle two years ago, and they thought they fixed the problem, but he ended up still having bone spurs in the ankle that they didn't take out. They didn't realize were a problem. So this time, they went back in and got to the real root of the issue. He feels like a million bucks. And from what I understand, he's already working out hard, feeling good, and they think like he's their long-term left tackle. So no plans to move him. That's why the Giants and other teams, as you guys know, they really wanted to see Cross at right tackle at his pro day. Yep. And he did a ton of work there and did a did a fabulous job. And that was the Giants were already over the moon about him. And so after that, it was just all the more reason to think, well, that we we can circle on the depth chart where they want to plug the hole. And now they know this guy could do just that. 
Well, as, as somebody who uh, who had Andrew Thomas as OT1 in that draft, I love hearing this, baby. I love hearing it. Let's get more healthy. Let's get a little bit better. I'm a big New York Giants fan, so I hope that I get validated in that regard. Everybody go follow Pat Leonard on Twitter. Follow all of his incredible work. He does such a great job covering the New York Giants, covering the NFL. Obviously, as you heard from just this 15 to 20 minutes, he'll give you nuggets the second that you start listening to him. Pat, thank you so much for coming on and making a pick for us here, my friend. You got it, Trevor and Connor. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, joining me now to pick for the Carolina Panthers here at number six, we have Jonathan Alexander, who covers the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. He is live on scene at NFL owners meetings, so we appreciate him taking the time here to join us a little bit. Jonathan, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I I am doing great, man. I've been excited about this one, getting ready to get to Carolina's pick because this is such a interesting draft pick. I know that you know this team better than so many other people do, so I was looking forward to picking your brain about it. Let's just take it back a little bit. We've got two back-to-back seasons now with Matt Rule having just five win seasons. And I know there was a lot of hype about Matt Rule coming in with David Tepper and Scott Fitter, a new era in Carolina, but it hasn't exactly started off great to the point where shoot was talked about the Matt Rule might even be fired after last season. How close do you think that was to them maybe moving on from Matt Rule? How much confidence did they have in him moving forward? And how hot is his seat going into this offseason, this draft and into next season? Yeah, I'm sure it was a consideration, um, probably. I mean, I'm sure it was probably a thought. Um, but, you know, it never got to that point. Um, you know, they were embarrassed 5-11 and 11 after – 5-12 after that second season. They made some moves because they thought that they could be a playoff team. And then, uh, you know, they end up losing their last seven games in a row, I believe. Um, so, um, you know, they've got to be a lot better. I, I, I think Matt Rule will be playing for his job. Uh, next season in year three, you know, if they finish with another losing season, I think that there's an expectation among a lot of people in the coaching staff that they won't be back if they, um, especially if they start off bad, um, that they won't be back if they have another right. losing season. So they've got to have, have a better year. And so far the off season hasn't been too bad. They just have a couple of holes that are arguably the most important that they need to fill. Yeah, one of them is a quarterback, and I guess there's some debate with that, right? Because they still have Sam Darnold on the roster. But I'm curious what the whole journey with Sam Darnold has kind of been for this team, right? When when they traded for him, how excited they were, and you know how he wasn't exactly the quarterback they thought he was, or maybe should have, since he looked a lot like he did when he was with the New York Jets. Where is this team on Sam Darnold right now? Because Carolina is really the realistic start to where in this draft, we talk about Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or other quarterbacks. It really starts at number six overall as potential landing spots for those guys. So how much do they still believe in Sam Darnold is kind of my question compared to the other quarterbacks they might have on the draft board. I think to be honest with you, I think they have to believe in him uh, just because they might not be able to be replace him uh, this year. Uh, I think we saw, uh, what we needed to see from Sam Brown and he struggled. He has a tendency to struggle when he has pressure and makes bad decisions. I think they know that. I think the thought is that they think he can be a little bit better under Ben McAdoo. However, they know for 100% certain that he's not the long-term answer um, at quarterback. They are still looking to upgrade. And if they can find that guy, whether that's in the draft or, or via trade or, you know, free agents is kind of dried up right now. Right. But if they can find that guy, um, then they'll make that move. 
Well, they were certainly, I mean, doing uh, their, I want to say due diligence, but I mean, it's a lot more than that. I mean, we learned that they were in on Deshaun Watson. It's, it sounded like they were in on Deshaun Watson for a really long time, even before this. Now that Deshaun has moved on, they don't have the chance to get him. Are they putting that same kind of effort and energy into this quarterback class? Like really looking into guys like Malik Willis. Have you heard that from the coaching staff and the GM? Like, have they been floating around how much work they're doing on these guys? Do you think, cause you mentioned it there and you kind of said it with a laugh that they kind of have to think about <laughs> upgrading or, you know, they, they, they don't really, uh, they have to roll with Sam Darnold, but they would love to upgrade if they could. Where are they with this quarterback class? Do you think, are they buying in? Are they still doing research or are they out on these guys? What do you think? I think they like this quarterback class. Um, you know, they've been to, they went to Pickett's pro day, um, Willis's pro day and Matt Corral's pro day on back to back to back days. And I think, you know, I'm just talking to people around the organization. They like uh, some of these quarterbacks and think they have potential. Now there is uh, a thought that this class isn't as strong as other classes in the past or, you know, next year's class. Uh, so they're examining that, whether they should take a chance. I think picking one of those guys at six is viewed as a little too high. Um, but, um, you know, I think that they're, that's going to be one. I don't, I don't think they've made a decision yet, but that is going to be under strong consideration at picking a quarterback if one of the best players available isn't on the board. So what about the rest of the roster? You know, I think a lot of people talk about offensive line with Carolina for sure, but there's other positions as well. You mentioned kind of some of the things that they did in free agency. Were there any particular moves that they did in free agency, putting money in one place, prioritizing one position that made you think that might influence where they're going at number six? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you saw them, put they signed a, a center, Bradley Bozeman, um, and then a guard, Austin Corbett. So, you know, offensive line was their worst, um, you know, position. Offensive line and quarterback together were their worst position moves. Um, so they've tried to do what they can with offensive line. Now they have to fill left tackle, which is going to be important. But they think left tackle is, is pretty deep. Uh, and they think that they can address that in this year's class and that'd be the most cost-efficient option. Um, so they've got to decide between whether they want to drop a quarterback and a left tackle. I think whichever is the best player available, they'll go with. Um, so, yeah, but they also, in free agency, they got signed a safety, which they needed, um, and a linebacker um, as well. So, Xavier Woods, supposed to be really good. Not really sure about the, uh, about the linebackers they got, but they felt like they, they filled some of the holes they needed, um, and now they hope to draft an offensive tackle or quarterback. How tempting might it be for them – to trade back because this is a team that, you know, they pick at number six overall. And then I believe they don't pick again until the fourth round. And so that's just such a massive gap for a team that finished with just five wins in each of the last two seasons. So are they going to be tempted to trade back? Have you heard any kind of talk with that? Of course, I think every team has all their options on the board, but you mentioned how desperate Carolina is for a franchise left tackle or for a quarterback. Do you think it's it's much more likely that one of those guys would be the pick at number six, or do you think that they really have a chance to move back and get some some extra picks throughout this draft? Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely think it's a possibility. I mean, it really, though, depends on what they can get back in a trade back. Because, you know, the Panthers, they don't have a second or a third-round pick. Um, 
they don't pick again after the first round. They don't pick again until the, the fourth. So, you know, they believe if they can get, you know, fill at least one of those picks, still getting somebody they think they can get in that first round, then they'll, 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 that'll be under strong consideration. I think that is a, a high probability. Um, I know they'll look at it. I know they'll inquire around and I know they'll take calls for that trade back. So I do think it's a good um, probability that that could possibly happen. So let's put you on the clock here. I'll put you on the clock at number six uh, as I kind of pull up the draft board here off the board so far, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Kyle Hamilton, Kayvon Thibodeau and Charles Cross. So we got some good offensive linemen still on the board for you at number six. We also have the quarterback class, which has not been touched yet. Jonathan, if you were making this selection for the Carolina Panthers, where do you think they need to go here at number six? Who would you be taking for them? In this case, if this is where the Carolina Panthers, I think they would go left tackle Evan Neal. I think they think very highly of Evan Neal. He's, they, they believe he's the day one starter and he can, transcend uh you know that offensive line so Evan Neal would be that pick I think that that makes that makes total sense do you think it's the top three offensive linemen and I guess I'll just ask you about those three guys overall because you have Evan Neal which you mentioned there who you took who I think is a great option for him you have Iki Iquanu from NC State and then you got Charles Cross from Mississippi State Charles Cross wasn't on the board here in this draft but have you heard any rumblings one way or another how Carolina might rank these guys, where you think they would be, in what order on their board, who they might like the most? I know uh, that some people prefer Evan Neal and Akeem Ekwanu mm-hmm. uh, more than Charles Cross, but I think they think all three of those guys will be day one starters, and they wouldn't be mad if uh, they got one of those guys. But I do know that, you know, the opinion was that Evan Neal and Akeem Ekwanu were the top two guys that they liked among the left tackle. All right, there we go. Anything else before we get out of here? Any any draft nuggets you might have heard from owners' meetings or where they might be looking or anything in this class that they uh, – a position, a, a player, anything like that you know they might be looking at as well as the draft goes on? No, still kind of getting started, still kind of learning things. But I do know that, uh, you know, if it does, if Evan Neal is on the board, I'd be extremely shocked if they passed uh, up on him. All right, there we go. All right, Evan Neal, we got Evan Neal at number six overall here on this guest mock draft series, courtesy of Jonathan Alexander. Go follow all of his work over at The Observer covering the Charlotte Panthers. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me, man. Thanks for having me. All right, there we go. Three more picks in the guest mock draft series down on Thursday. We are going to be rounding out the entire top 10. We got four picks coming at you. And then beginning of next week, we got another special guest that we're going to have on to recap the top 10 picks. This is the NFL Stock Exchange. We'll see you guys then.